film and television. Merely entertainment, right? No. There's so much more to film and television that changes our perspectives. And as a result, we can have different, either realistic expectations or non-realistic expectations about what life is really like. Whether it be horror that helps us develop a habit of turning every light on in the house or a comedy that helps us relieve tension in the saddest times of our life. I want to go in the Wayback Machine and find out exactly what movie helped shape you. I'm Oma Shadi, and welcome to the Between the Bannisters podcast. Hey kids, thank you so much for coming back to Between the Bannisters. I'm very excited. I say that every freaking week, but I can't help it. I'm always excited about the people that I get to talk to, and I'm really, really jazzed about speaking about this movie today. So today we're going to talk to Brad Johnson. So a little bit about Brad before we get started. Brad is a screenwriter and filmmaker living in the Pacific Northwest, and for more than 20 years, Brad has been involved in the world of independent film, and most recently, he was a producer for the short film Tesla vs. Cthulhu, and is currently in pre-production on another short film, Chat a thriller about the potential dangers of online relationships, written by USA Today best-selling author Kim Hornsby, which he is co-producing and directing. He's also recently formed his own film production company, Daisy If You Do Productions. Welcome to the show, Mr. Brad. How are you? I'm doing well, Mo. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Can you tell the kids what we're chatting about today? We are talking about a wonderful horror film from uh, 1976 called Burnt Offerings. Oh my god, I'm so excited. <laughs> I can't tell you how excited I am about this uh, this movie. And the reason why is because, number one, you know that I absolutely love talking about horror movies. But you have such a ridiculously cool cast in this. It's I can't even... It's sad. Yeah, it. oh, to the gills, to the gills, and it's it's just hilarious to me that that we're talking about it because I literally was just speaking about this movie to someone else uh, a few weeks ago because uh, we were on like a Karen Black fetish and we had watched like the trilogy of terror and everything. And when I was little, it was like she had the it was where she got possessed by the the doll. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And for I, it's not what his name is. But when I was little, my sister used to call it the Ungabunga Man, and I don't know where we got that name from, but that was, and then it translated into people that have bad teeth were Ungabunga Man. <laughs> kind of permeated our life. So tell me what you love about Burnt Offerings, besides the incredible cast, which we'll talk about in a minute, but why this movie above all others? Well, to me, I'm a big fan of just slow burn horror and that's what this is you know it's the kind of movie where you're sitting there and there's not a ton of jump scares there's not gore but like halfway through the movie you realize that like your muscles are just tight and you're tense yeah your whole body is just kind of on the edge of the seat because because of the just the, the sense of doom and foreboding that's kind of built over the course of the film and uh I, I love that feeling. And then this movie especially just it's it's about it's about that whole um just that whole aspect of horror where like danger can strike from anywhere and the things that you thought were safe aren't safe. There's not there's not a boogeyman trying to catch them. There's not a, a, a ghost or a monster. The monster is the house. <laughs> and, yeah. And and uh you know 
the house is hungry and the house needs to be fed. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just an awesome premise for a group of fantastic actors to play with and, and ham it up and really just have a great time for an hour and a half or so. Yeah, and everybody, everybody is chewing on the scenery. Every uh, single person. There's marks on everything. There's teeth marks on everything. <laughs> I, well, especially just to get it out of the way, because talking about cast, because like we said, it's very stacked cast. We have Karen Black, who is just an amazing person and, and just, you know, just I, I love seeing her really do horror. But Oliver Reed, you think about Oliver Reed um, and where, you know, he's been and the things that he's done. Like this, you know, is coming out when was it seventy six? So this was like pre, pre Tommy, right? Because all I can think yeah. of is you know, yeah. like the Dole Road is that <laughs> part. Um, but just all the things that he's done and playing, you know, incredibly, um, not necessarily straight in this movie. You know, he's had his ups and downs and has been able to show a lot of his range. Yeah. But just you know, he's playing the the bad guy you know he's not the best guy ever and oliver and and you know doing like dr jekyll and mr hyde a couple years later what about his character did you like in this movie the the great thing about reed's character in this movie is that you go from feeling sorry for him to just kind of thinking he's a jerk <laughs> and, he, and he plays it both so well i mean you you literally go from like he's the reasonable one he's the one telling karen black to like get over the house and you're 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 losing yourself here and we need to get out of here to you know holding his kid's head underwater in the pool and trying to kill him yeah and so it's 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 quite the range and he really yeah. gets to he gets to play a lot in this movie and he does he does wonderful things with all of the different modes that he kind of goes through in the course of the story. Yeah. And uh, first of all, you've got Betty Davis, which yes. who's going to tell her anything. <laughs> I can't even imagine what it's like to direct Betty Davis. I feel like you just don't. No, you just, you just turn on the camera and let her do what she's going to do. Right. right. And you get what you get. You don't have a fit. Exactly. Um, but you've got, especially with, you've got the Roz and Arnold, um, the brother and sister that are basically just disappear out of fucking nowhere. There's here's here's some keys. Bye. Um, and that's Burgess Meredith. Yeah, Burgess Meredith, and you've got um, Eileen Heckart, which from seeing her recently, I think I I've only seen her recently, and I think she was Diane Keene's mom in the First Wives Club um, recently, and she was just very humble and very just out of touch and out of date. But there's something so inherently creepy about the way they speak about the house yes as if it's a third person <laughs> and and when they when they say to the family um kids will be good for this place uh, at, at the beginning of the movie it's it's, <laughs> it's like the most this line that like but they deliver it in such a way that you, it's just it's just oh my gosh just such <laughs> So if we're talking about, um, especially with the podcast and everything, yeah. Now always ask, how do you feel that this movie shaped you either as a creative or as a person while watching it? What was so formative about this film above all others? Well, I mean, ultimately, it, it scarred me for life. Is what it, <laughs> <laughs> this was what it did. That's a good I, change. 
I was way too young when I saw this movie, so I don't I don't know if this was the case everywhere, but I I grew up in uh, in Maryland outside of Baltimore, and um, on Sunday mornings on you know one of the local channels, I forget if it was CBS or ABC or whatever. But Sunday mornings, they would put, there was like a two-hour block, and they would put on like 70s horror movies that would be Hammer films or or whatever. And and when I was like nine or 10 years old, I was skimming the channels, the four channels that we had. <laughs> that we had. <laughs> and, and, and landed on this. I had no idea what it was, obviously. I'd never heard of it. And sat there enraptured and watched this whole thing. And I had nightmares for weeks <laughs> afterwards, <laughs> but it, it it also like it was my first exposure really to horror movies. It it was it was the thing that I was like, oh, this is it. It terrified me, but I also just started going back every Sunday to see what they were going to show next. Yeah, um, and it just started me down a pathway of just becoming, you know, enraptured with this this kind of movie where you're you're scared, but you're also excited that you're scared, and that was a really new sensation for me, and and it's really started my whole love affair with with the horror genre, which, um, you know, carries through just in terms of the movies that I that I enjoy watching, but also my writing as well. So, how do you feel it's affect your writing? There's a lot of incredibles. First of all, cast aside there's a lot of incredible writing in this film because there's so many nuances and you've got two main characters karen black and betty davis especially that just act with their face um (laughs) (laughs) act the shit out of it what scenes do you think were either your favorite or the ones that scared you the most or the way things were structured to how you bring that into your own work so i'm assuming since this is you know 45 years old it's we're safe uh, to to spoil the ending of the movie i think so <laughs> <laughs> but, i think you're good but but really my my favorite mo- the 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 part of the movie that stays with me the most is the ending um when when oliver reed comes plummeting out of the window and his head goes through the windshield of the car in front of his son and his son freaks out obviously jumps out of the uh, of the car and tries to get away but the house starts shaking and and the camera is going every which way and then the the chimney of the house falls over and crushes this little boy to death Mm -hmm. and um especially as 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 a kid obviously that stuck with me because like kids are supposed to be safe in movies (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) even the horror movies like usually like the kids survives and this one like nope he's he's toast too yeah um and i just i had never even imagined a movie like that before um and it it just it always has stayed with me it's the the main thing that i think of when i when i think of the movie um yeah that's so yeah I'll have just seen it in my head too, because because you think you know, the house is going to get what the house is going to get, um, and I think that was a really brave decision to not kind of clean it up. Yeah, like, especially back then. Leave it real messy. <laughs> Messies are really good for it. Leave it just super messy. But yeah. when we think of um, how formative horror can be, and that's really when I started this podcast, I really wanted to I think maybe I in my my head I went my mind's eye really was like oh I really want to talk about horror and I 
you know, and I kind of opened it up and enveloped it into film, how media just affects us as a whole. But just saying, hearing you say that this was kind of my baby steps, this is me putting my toe in the water of horror. How do you think that that helped develop wanting to write horror or just seeing it and be like, I can tell stories of that nature? I think it was, to, to me, it, it, I'm, I've never been a big um, gore person in terms mm-hmm. of horror, and probably because that wasn't my first exposure to it, but it, it, it impacted my writing in terms of, like, you can be scary without there being, like, a monster chasing somebody. You can, you can develop um, the, and, and influence the emotions of, of the audience through, through tone and, and setting. And I don't think, obviously, I wasn't picking up on that at the time, but that's definitely stayed with me as a, as a writer where I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big, um, you know, monster of the week kind of guy in terms of what I'm going to write. It usually is a lot more self-contained and, 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 and internal forces that are at work. And I think that can be traced directly back to this. Because it's so it's so in depth, and I like the way um, you said that. Because there's so many twists and turns to horror, and I, I shared something on um, my social media today, which was like the subgenres. I think you saw it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's so many to that, and there's so much you can do without. And this is predominantly, I mean, it's listed as a mystery and horror thriller. It's really psychological more than anything. Um, because a lot of this film is what you don't see, which is why it's fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ninety-five um, percent of the movie, you you don't know what's happening. What's, you what's know, in the room? <laughs> you don't know why it's happening. <laughs> There's just crazy things going on, and and people are losing their touch on reality, and that's really scary. Yeah, and it's. I think what I like about the psychological horror aspect, especially in this movie. And to your point, it doesn't have to be this giant monster that's chasing everybody and everybody's getting away. Like, if anything, like, man is the scariest monster. So, so yeah. it's, yeah, and it's something that's very, it permeates this entire film. Because everybody gets it to some degree. <laughs> absolutely. And it's it's a shame. I, I feel like this movie, for a lot of people, is kind of lost to history. Um, yeah. because it, it, it had the unfortunate timing of coming out in between, came out after The Exorcist and right before Amityville Horror. Mm-hmm. And so like with, with those as the two pieces of bread on your sandwich, like no, not many people were paying attention to, um, to burnt offerings at the time. It got some good reviews, but it didn't really stick in the consciousness like, No, which is a shame because like yeah. I said, that cast is freaking ridiculous. <laughs> Like, how you even get all these people to be like, yeah, I'll do it. What? <laughs> what? I could only dream of, like, being in that time period and being like, holy shit, Betty Davis is going to be in my film. Holy shit, Burgess Meredith is going to be in my film. It doesn't make sense to me that both of them would be in this incredible horror film. But it happened. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky for us. I said yes. <laughs> so when we think about this movie, and there's, you know, you've got the you know the old woman in the room supposedly and we're bringing her lunch and you know bringing her a tray and and what have you yeah what in your mind did you think was behind the door 
everything scary. <laughs> for I think for 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 most of the movie, I was I was and again I was I was young when I saw it, so I wasn't having a, like a wild twist, like I wasn't looking for a twist. Sure. Um. So I I thought there was I thought there was something in the room for most of the movie, mm-hmm. and I just. I thought it was going to be revealed. I thought that there was something in the room that was coming out and doing things around the house. Yeah. Right? Rather, rather than it being the house itself that was doing things. Um, and so it was a twist for me that, you know, I'm, I'm realizing it now as we're talking, like that was also with the reveal when he, when he turns Karen Black around and she is mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is kind of, um, you know, my first exposure to a to a twist ending as well. Yeah, and it's like, mm. yeah. <laughs> is she gonna be freaking scary, man? And then, and then I, I love that, like, you don't know what she did to him. To right, right, because it, you you turn the chair and you see her, and she has that look. If you've seen the still, if you Google Karen Black and Black in in burnt offerings, you'll see like that scary face that she makes it's terrifying mm-hmm. and then they and then they cut to to the kid in the car and then the next thing you know is oliver is jumping out the window to his death so like the, even at the end when they're doing a reveal like it's all left up to your imagination like you have no idea what she said or did or why he's jumping out of the window you just know he did yeah they were so sad now i'm gonna <laughs> I was trying to not because I'm trying to remember uh, you know there's so many many things that were pretty formative for me because it gets there's a lot of things that just get stuck in your consciousness with the movie like that because there's so many turns that are just really really messed up if you're a kid watching it as you were you're like what what why and it it's really terrifying but when you think about the family dynamic and writing family dynamics in horror, do you think that there is a right way or a wrong way to start? Because when you think about going, this family, you know, has a great deal in this home and everything's pretty idyllic when they get there and then things start to fall apart. So do you think that that kind of dynamic is important as a starting point in horror that involves a familial situation? No, I, I don't. I don't think it's it's necessary. I mean, if you look at you know Haunting of Hill House or something, they start with a broken family and go the other direction, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So if you can, you can, you can, you can start with the family in in whatever phase or or situation you you need it to to be in. But I think it's it's in, it does inherently work to layer familial relationships and trauma and attempts to reconcile on top of horror themes. Um, they, they work really, really well together and, and often can, can connect in really interesting ways that, that pay off. Yeah, absolutely. Good mm. answer. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I was hoping you could make that really concise. I wouldn't have. <laughs> And I've been going like 30,000 feet <laughs> circle in the airport trying to figure out my point. I'm never asked anybody this question, Brad. So are you prepared oh, uh, for this question? Yes. Could you recast this movie for me in modern times? Modern times. That you can you can edit out all the, the dead air that's gonna happen right now. 
that's all I ask. That's all I ask. Um, who would play? Uh, who would who would play uh, Karen Black? Karen Black is going to be one of my favorites. Uh, it's going to be Carrie Coon. Ooh, okay. Is going to be Carrie Coon. I think um, she's really good with makeup. She's not necessarily as as old as as um, as Betty Davis was, but in the in the Aunt Elizabeth role, um, I like her. I'm going to put Olivia Coleman in there because I think oh. you, you can age her up a little bit with some makeup, and she'll be suitably spooky and and give a good delivery. I agree. Woo. Um, yeah, so we're we're doing well so far now. Yep. Oliver, Oliver Reed is 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 tough. Um, who would Oliver Reed be today? I don't know. See, I almost feel like a Clive Owen. Oh, Clive Owen would be would be a, really good. Is a good. Let's let's just stay with that. We'll do. Okay. We've got <laughs> we've got Clive Owen and Carrie Coon with a guest appearance by Olivia Coleman. <laughs> sold 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 green light we need the brother and sister yeah. who are we gonna have for that need, so it needs to be people that that are can be kind of creepy and they're not going to mind just having a small role uh but they'll still say yes to it the older brother and sister Hmm. I mean, do they have to be as old as the original Arnold and Roz, though? No, I guess they. I guess they don't. They just need to have that kind of creep factor where they can they can give a delivery. So you know, the person that I, I think he might not be old enough, but maybe by the time this gets made, he would be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're gonna write it, so it's fine. <laughs> That's right. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Paul Dana in. Ooh. As okay. As 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 Burgess. And okay. then we'll, uh, and then we'll pair him. Who who's who is suitably creepy? <laughs> oh gosh, there's so many people to go uh, to to be Paul's sister. What about um? Oh gosh! Oh my God! What's her name? <laughs> oh, this is gonna bug me. I kind of like the idea of them being younger people, actually. Yeah. As well, because it's the whole thing about the house regenerating. It could regenerate them as well. Ooh, that's a really good. It would actually be really cool to have them be older actors at the beginning of the movie. And then when they come back to the house at the end, they're Paul Dano and whoever we're going to cast. Oh, I like that idea. <laughs> I like that idea a lot. Ooh, you know who I would really, really like? Um... Oh, because he's pretty young looking. Um, see, now I got myself in a trap. Damn it. I know we did. <laughs> I kind of painted my ass into a corner here. Um, Who is going to go be Paul Dano's spooky sister? Oh, my gosh. Spooky sister. Oh, you know, it's not, the, it's not the right age, but you know who would be really good? <laughs> the, I guess they could be different ages. How about Helena Bonham Carter? Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Wouldn't she be awesome? Yes, she could be like the older sister. Yeah. You know what's crazy about this is it really has such a House of Usher vibe to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I think I really, really like. At least that's what resonates with me. And I may be completely off base. 
but that's really what I get this kind of like, you know, vibe from 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 Arnold and Roz. Yeah. That, that they're they seem like the kind of people that would be <laughs> creepily intimate if people were not I, around. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think I think Helena and Paul Dano could pull that off. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just sure. touching her touching her hair or something or yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like know. he's being a little too intimate in front of them when they're visiting at the beginning and she swats his hand away. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Oh, uh we need to cast the chauffeur because he oh. is terrifying. The chauffeur is Michael Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> we have nailed this. I'm so excited. <laughs> I feel like we cracked the Da Vinci Code. Uh, <laughs> we're just gonna need some funding, and um, we're well you put on our those way. sunglasses and that chauffeur outfit on him. And, oh my and, gosh, and amazing! You will, you will terrify. Cast is complete. Well, I was reading part of the trivia because I just like to kind of go back into it, and there's some pretty interesting stuff in here. Where this, um, where is the trivia? It says the haunting flashbacks that Ben Rolf has about the creepy chauffeur were based on an actual childhood experience of Dan Curtis. Curtis recalled as a young child being at his mother's funeral and seeing the chauffeur laughing outside of the funeral parlor, which disturbed him deeply. I would guess so. <laughs> he wrote that into the film. The chauffeur became super, super creepy just for him to, you know, <laughs> have the catharsis on that. Holy shit. Can you imagine? I know. That would be... Uh, that would be so creepy. And, he, and he, he pulled it off putting it into the film so well because it is a really disturbing visual every time that guy's on screen. Yeah, and it's it's nutty. I've, I've, got a, I've got a cool bit of trivia for you, too. About this. Hit it, hit it. The house. Ooh, yes. Okay. The house was also the funeral home in Phantasm. Yes, I heard about <laughs> that. Makes sense that the the layout of that house is incredibly confusing. Yep. And it's very um Winchesterish. <laughs> so I would be very it would serves like it seems like it would be like a slot for another scary movie too. And it also was um in uh View to a Kill. If you want was to it really? Yeah. I didn't know that. So yeah, that was kind of mm. crazy, which is really, really interesting. And I It's got a history. It's yeah. <laughs> And this is a lot of, um, this is one of Stephen King's favorite horror movies. Is it? Yep. I did not see. So now you go. Yep. He's got taste. What can you say? He's he got he, taste. Knows, well, he, he knows what he's doing, I think. He does, because he likes that, and he likes Evil Dead, and that was, that was also one of my other favorite <laughs> horror movies. <laughs> that's so all That's fantastic. But I always ask this question. Okay. Which I, I'm sure you've, you've crammed um, <laughs> and are prepared for. What do you feel if this movie is saying anything? Because we talked about personal allegories and and how stories can have another story within them or some type of wrap up fable or moral story. Yeah. What do you feel that this movie is trying to say, if anything? There's a lot to unpack with this. <coughs> so please there, feel anything is a starting point. I, there is a lot going on here. I mean, I I think there's there's elements in here of Yep. Even the perfect family has dark things going on underneath the surface that will come out if you put it in the right situation. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of that going on. There's 
there's definitely an interesting take on on what it what it means to be a mother and motherhood and you know in terms of you know kind of the the classic trope of sacrificing anything to protect your family and in, and in this case Karen Black has to sacrifice her family in order to become mother and mm -hmm. to join the house so there's a nice reversal there and gets you thinking about maternal roles and and just and and and, and really just I think the way that we are willing to sacrifice or compromise in order to get things we wouldn't normally be able to get. In this case, you know, they have an uneasy feeling from the beginning, but they take it anyway because it's cheap and they want the house, right? So you're you're sacrificing safety for money and convenience. Mm -hmm. um, and and that then ties in later with you know the sacrifice of their their control and their self-autonomy as as the house begins to take over all of them. Yeah, I think that's especially the motherhood piece of that because that's it's such a rumbling underneath the movie the entire time. Yeah, it really so is. That's, so that's a really, really great way to put it. And I was like, I knew you would really address those things really well because you're just the type of person that would do that. So I'm very excited to hear you talk about that piece. So now, the moment of truth. Could okay. you... Describe this movie to someone who has no idea who Betty Davis is. <laughs> <laughs> Karen Black, Alva Reed, Burgess Meredith, any of those people that are our top echelon high ticket items. Mm. Could you describe this movie to someone in a few sentences? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so I think if, if, you, if you can't use any of that as a starting place to get someone interested, it's it's really I would say it's a horror movie where the house is the monster and a and a family moves in for the summer and begins to slowly unravel as the house intrudes into their minds and take over their bodies. I like it. I like what you've done there. And if, if that doesn't make you want if that doesn't make you want to see it, then it's not for you. Sounds freaking creepy to me. Come on, boards. It's very, it's very artful, and the log line seems a little flat. I'm not gonna lie, because you know we go through this with the pods that we do, and I always look back at the log line. I'm like, the person said it better. So the family moves into a large old mansion in the countryside, which seems to have a mysterious and sinister power over its new residents. Yeah, I like mine better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Brad's was better, but this was exciting because I. I love this movie, and and to your point, I feel like it really did get trapped in between two incredibly poignant movies in the genre, but it's so slept on. And if you don't have a chance to to see it or you haven't seen it yet, please do because it really is one of the quintessential horror movies. If we're talking about possession horror, we're talking about psychological horror, we're talking about Terrible family dynamics. If you like terrible family dynamics, if you're a fan of The Shining, um, and, and it even has a little bit of body horror in it when when Betty Davis starts aging and then she wakes up in the bed and like her bones start breaking. Oh yeah, that's and, and cool. You know, there's like, there, there's something here for everybody. Yeah, it's a little little mixed bag. It's on Amazon Prime. 
If you don't have Prime, I'm sorry, get it. Um, but if even if you get it, you're still gonna have to pay $3.99 for it. But I tell you that it is worth every penny. And if you watch it and you don't like it, don't complain to me. <laughs> I don't want to hear. We will not refund your money. <laughs> nope, <laughs> absolutely not at any time. But I'm so happy that we talked about this, Brad. Oh my God, you tell me about it. And I feel like I do this with everybody that's on because I just get so excited to talk about stuff with people. But one of the, like, I'm always down to talk horror movies. And you, the minute you were like, oh, I talk about burnt offerings, I was like, oh, my God. Like, literally. This was so much phone. fun. I really appreciate, <laughs> appreciate you letting me come on and ramble. About, oh, my gosh. About, about ramble. Yeah. That's my job. You were incredibly poignant. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brad, where can the folks find you if they want to look at your work, if you have any reels to show? Where can they... Um, put their ducats and dollars. If you have any crowdfunding going on, where can they find you? Um, you can find me on, on Twitter. It's probably the best place. My handle's uh, at RWW film. And I'm always open to, to talk to anyone about anything on there, but especially if you want to stop by and talk about writing or movies. Um, we do have some fundraising that'll be coming up shortly for uh, chat, which is the, the thriller that'll be that I'm co-producing and directing. I think we're looking to start that fundraising campaign uh, at the end of February. So uh, I'll be shamelessly plugging that once that begins. So keep an eye out and feel free to throw a throw a couple of dollars if you've got it my way when uh, when you have a chance. Yep, yeah. do it for Brad. He's worth it. <laughs> Is worth it. So, Brad, this was lovely. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. I'm just coming back to our picture and I realized I did not turn my cam back on. That's all right. <laughs> I was just I going was with it. I talking to my freaking Zoom catfish picture the whole time. Hey, it worked. <laughs> what can I say? 